Welcome back to Sermon Notes. Uh, Clark here with you today. I've got Michael with me as we find ourselves in John chapter 20. And uh, good to see you, Michael. Yeah, glad to be here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're finding our, our way towards the end of our John series. And so this will be week 20 of 21. When we started this, it sounded long. Back in March, yes. we're like, man, 21 weeks in John, and it has flown by it, for it, me. It has. And so... We've looked at seven I am statements, seven miracles, and now we find ourselves in the sixth encounter in the encounter section of our study. And so one more week, and then we'll be in our mission vision series. And so um, our passage uh, this week is uh, John 20. We're going to be looking at uh, 19 uh, through verse uh, through verse 29. And um, so if you're listening, you can turn your Bibles there. And so, Michael, set up the passage for us and just kind of tell us uh, what the scene looks like. Yeah, so last week, uh, of course, we had Andy Petrie from our CR team. He did a great job teaching. He was in John 19, which really... 19 and 20, and, and the, this story is in all the Gospels, but man, it encapsulates the single most important event in human history. So in 19, Andy left us with Pilate sen- sentencing Jesus to crucifixion. Yeah. And John 19 tells us the story of, of what happened that day. Christ went to the cross. Um, John's, in John's account, it says um, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And Nicodemus and um, another man came and took Jesus down from the cross, placed his body in a tomb. And we celebrate that every year at Easter. But for us here at the end of July to just pause and remember, Mm. man, the significance, all of human history had led up to that event, that singular event in which Jesus went to the cross and by his death paid for the sins of every person that ever had lived and every person that ever will live, including you, me, and our Sermon Notes listeners. And so, um, man, we never want to just gloss over that. We never want to just minimize that. It's the the center, not just of the biblical story, but of our human experience. But what happens next is actually equally important, which is what's recorded in John 20. A group of women went to the tomb. Um, They were going to care for the body of Jesus. They had spices. This was traditional. Um, They had taken a a break for the Sabbath, and now they've come on what we would call Sunday morning um, to to treat the body and to honor the body of Jesus, but they find the tomb empty. And Peter and John come, and they see the, the linen burial cloths there, and John says, he's talking about himself, that he believed. When he saw that, he believed. What did he believe? He believed that Jesus was the res- the resurrected Messiah. Yeah. For the first time, he understood everything that had happened. Um, and then Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene, and still none of the disciples have seen Jesus with their own eyes as we get into our passage for this week. And so yeah. that night, um, the disciples are gathered. They've got the door locked because they're afraid of the Jews, which makes perfect sense in human yeah. reasoning. They killed their leader. Why wouldn't they want to kill the followers and make sure they stamp this thing out? So they're gathered there, and Jesus appears in their midst, and he reveals himself. The risen Christ reveals himself to those guys. It's hard to imagine mm-hmm. the power It'd just be overwhelming in that moment. They've seen this man die and be buried, and now he's standing there. He shows them his wounds. It's it's Jesus physically resurrected. Uh, the only problem is one guy's not there. 
Thomas, I don't know why he's not there. Mm. Maybe we probably all have friends like this. Maybe maybe you're like this. Um, you want to be alone when you're in a time of grief. You don't want to be around a bunch of people. You just want to go and pray and get away. Maybe that's how Thomas was. I don't know. But when he comes back and they tell him what's happened, he famously says, um, it's in verse 25, um, unless I see the hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. He's so dogmatic. Yeah. Unless I see it for myself, I'm out. And so And it's always that's always been interesting to me too, because you know, he was the one disciple, I believe specifically, that was mentioned in the Lazarus miracle as yeah. well. And so this is his second resurrection experience. Right. He was the one and, who said, All right, let's go back with him to Judea yeah. and die. He was ready to die next to Jesus. Yeah. Uh, but now he's not prepared to believe that Jesus is alive. Um, it's really yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah. And so the Lord lets him sit in that space for a full week. For a full week. Yeah, that's right. There's After eight days. 10 guys who've seen Jesus. And you've got to know that's all they're talking about. And here's Thomas, the 11th guy, who's like, nope. I, I picture him sitting there with his arms folded, <laughs> unless I see it myself. And... The Lord in his grace does appear to them again um, in the last part of the passage, beginning in verse 26. Like you said, eight days later, that's an ancient way of reckoning time where you include the day you're talking about. So it's a week. One week later, Jesus appears the second time and he looks Thomas in the eye and says, put your finger in my wounds. Like he directly answers the thing that Thomas had said when the Lord wasn't physically there with them. And Thomas is overwhelmed and says, my Lord and my God. And the the passage ends with Jesus saying, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who've not seen and yet have believed. And so every Jesus follower listening to this, as well as you and I, Clark, and Mm -hmm. Josh, who's here with us, this is us. We've believed even though we've not physically seen the risen Jesus. And Jesus offers a blessing for for really for the whole church, for every person who, after the ascension, has believed despite not seeing him physically. Yeah, that's great stuff, Michael. Um, some really fascinating um, things in here, some things that uh, left me with some questions, even in uh, our small group this morning, uh, me and a group of six other men, we were walking through this passage together, and I was asking them, what questions do you have that don't seem to have answers this morning yeah. that we can kind of investigate? And so... We celebrated um, the, the collision of the deity and the humanity of Jesus. You have him appearing in a room. A only, locked room. A locked room. Only God could do that. Right. But then he's in human form with wounds that they can touch and feel right. and see. So you have that happening um, here in this scene. And then, Michael, um, there's some interesting language used here. Um, if you look at 22 and and 23 here. Yeah. And so we discussed this a little bit just, you know, in some of our planning meetings. But, you know, listen to these words. And I'm reading from the NAS here. It says that he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Okay. I know your the ESV reads it a little bit different. Yeah, it says withhold forgiveness. That's it's right. Withheld, but yeah, same idea. And so, yeah, we were wrestling through that this morning. What do we make of this? Yeah, it's yeah. a it's actually a difficult couple of verses, and almost any commentary you pick up is going to give a lot of attention to it and give a lot of views on it. Um, most commentators agree this is John's version of the Great Commission. Every gospel 
has a sending commission where Jesus says, now, followers, it's your time to continue the mission that I, Jesus began his mission and he actually completed his part of the mission through his death and resurrection. And now the church's mission is a continuation of that. So we're not doing what Jesus did. We're proclaiming what Jesus did. Mm-hmm. And so um, most of us, when we think Great Commission, our mind immediately goes to Matthew 28 um, or maybe Acts 1.8. And those are places where Jesus commissions his disciples to continue the ministry. And this is John's version of that. Jesus says, um, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. That's in verse 21. Yeah. In Luke, Jesus tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit. In Acts, he says it again, wait for the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes in power. And so the question we get is, or we all think of when we read this, is how does that line up with this? Here he says, receive the Holy Spirit, and he breathes on them. And yeah. so it definitely doesn't sound like it's the same event. So you'll get some commentators who'll say, well, John's speaking thematically, and this was this actually happened at Pentecost, but John's compressing time for thematic mm-hmm. purposes. And personally, I don't really follow that line of reasoning. And yeah. if some of our listeners may think, yes, that's what I think. That's okay. I'm not, you know, we'll find out one day yeah. um, the truth. But um, I'm not comfortable with that because John actually has a lot of time markers in here. I don't think he would say eight days later if he really means something that happened 50 days later at Pentecost. Yeah. So if we set that view aside, then we think, well, um, did Jesus, were the disciples indwelled by the Holy Spirit through Jesus breathing on them? And as I worked on this, I think the key word for understanding it for me is that word breathed. Um, He says, um, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Um, The on them is actually inserted by our English translators, and virtually every translation does it. It's not a critique. It makes the sentence make sense to the English reader. That's right. But the Greek simply says, he breathed. breathed, And so I started spending a little time with that word breathe. Now, um, your podcast app that you're using probably has a jump ahead 15 seconds button. And so if you don't want a little technical conversation about the word breathe, hit that button four times. Here we go. (laughs) That word that's translated breathed. At the time of Jesus, the Old Testament had been translated into Greek. We call it the Septuagint. And it was widely used. It had been around for 300 years by the time of Christ. And in that, that Greek translation, this exact same word shows up in a couple significant places. Genesis 2, God formed man from the dust of the earth and breathed life into his nostrils. Same word. Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel has a vision of the valley of dry bones. And the God gives him this vision where the bones come together and they get flesh and sinew, the Bible says. They get, they get ligaments and muscles and flesh. They're people, uh, but they're still not animated until God breathes his breath of life onto this. And this is, it's a prophetic vision. It's not yeah. something that actually happened, but it's significant. Same word here. And so mm-hmm. I think John wants the reader to understand that Jesus is breathing the Holy Spirit into them in the sense of eternal life, receive eternal life. Hmm. Paul tells us later, the Holy Spirit is our guarantee of our inheritance, right? That's how we know we're going to have eternal life with Christ is by the Holy Spirit. I think that this is an event that was just for these guys at this time. It's a whole new experience for them. They've been following Jesus in his humanity, rabbi, teacher, 
but now he's the eternal life living, giving God. And the Holy Spirit is the sign and seal of that. And so he, yeah. Jesus breathes life in the form of the Holy Spirit. They're yeah. still going to have to wait 50 days until Pentecost when the yeah. Holy Spirit comes in power. And part of the reason I think that, Clark, is yeah. if I look at John 21, I don't see Peter in the street preaching an Acts 2 sermon. No. What I see is him going back to fishing. I don't think he had the, the power of the Holy Spirit yet yeah. that we're going to see unleashed in Acts. And so that's how yeah. I understand the that passage. That's fascinating, Michael. And then when yeah. we lean into 23, we can probably cover that more briefly. Maybe some of you are rejoining us after skipping our discussion of breath. Um, <laughs> I think what Jesus is saying there is your, your job, followers, disciples, soon to be church, is to make the gospel so clear that people will know where they stand in regard to sin and forgiveness, mm. that forgiveness is found only by placing our faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus, and that the, the that if we withhold that message, their sins are retained. And so it's not about a person having the power to forgive sins. It's not about a priest offering absolution or anything like that. It's about the church having a mission of sharing the gospel in such a clear and compelling way that people know that if they reject that gospel message, they're going to hold on to their sins and be responsible yeah. for them. Yeah, that's rich stuff. Hey, thanks for clearing that up. I well, I might have just sure. muddied it up yeah. for some people. Um, feel free to email me or, or catch me at church. I'd love to talk about it. And, and like I said, not every commentator agrees, but that's kind of where I've landed after some study. Yeah. So let's let's end like this today, uh, Michael. And and maybe this is a unique unique way to to end our time, but just a time of worship, actually. Um, as we take Thomas's actual words in verse twenty eight, "My Lord and my God," man, and it's the culmination of this gospel account. There's maybe no better two phrases that we could sum up the whole book with. Yeah, that, what that a, we believe. What a confession. Yeah. Jesus is the Lord. He's Yahweh. He's God. And he's my God. He he's the king of my life. Yeah. It's the central confession of the Christian church. Yeah. And you came across um, some notes in your study that I thought uh, summed it up and walk us through much of John and some of the 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 phrases and titles that we ascribe to Jesus. And so just walk us through that. Yeah, I'd love to. You know, just to share the whole idea of this podcast is the things that we talk about in the office and in our meetings, let's bring our listeners in on that. They can't all be there for that. And so just to bring you in, I shared this with Josh and Clark before we recorded the podcast. And Josh said, we need to end the podcast with that. And so that's what we're going to do. So I, as I often say on here, I have my... Sermon notes. Your actual sermon yeah, notes. Yeah, yeah. So this is from the New American Commentary um, on the book of John. And here, here's what the commentator says. Thomas's response forms the high point of confession in the gospel. What it does is bring the gospel full circle from the prologue, where it is emphatically said that the word was God. That's from John 1.1. To this confession in John 20, my Lord and my God. In the process of writing this gospel, the evangelist has proclaimed, now I'm going to tell you the things that the commentator says Jesus is, and I'm going to leave out the references. Any of our listeners want the references, shoot me an email. I'll send you a PDF of this if you want to look these up yourself. These are all from the book of John. Here's who Jesus has been proclaimed to be, active in creation. The Word who became incarnate, the sin-bearing Lamb of God, the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Israel, the new temple, a teacher sent from God, a new symbol of God's power exhibited through Moses, the evidence of the love of God, the Savior of the world, 
equal with God, authority and judgment, the agent of God, the fulfillment of scripture, the expected prophet, the I am, the supplier of living water, the one who was from God, the son of man, the consecrated holy one, the lifted up one, the glorified one, the preparer of his followers destiny, the non-abandoning one, the one in whom we must abide and who is the basis for the fruitfulness of his followers, the sender of the Holy Spirit, the bearer of truth, the crucified king, and now finally in John chapter 20, the risen Lord and God. This is supplied for the church of all ages, a truly masterful statement about Jesus. Jesus is indeed Lord and God. I, I'm speechless. And just listening to that um, makes me want to end our time with prayer. Oh, I love Thanking it. God for what he's done. Let's and do so it. We don't do that all the time on this podcast, but let's do that now. Yeah. Uh, Father, um, thank you for Jesus. And um, all those descriptive words that ascribe to him, uh, his worth, his value, his glory, um, the benefit that he is to us and forgiveness, uh, the resurrected king. God, thank you um, for your generosity and giving us uh, your son, empowering us with your spirit. And uh, you are worthy of our worship this week. And so go with us now as we finish up this episode of Sermon Notes and give us the grace to extend this type of love to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.